Let's go, baby. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode, another edition of The Fix. I'm your host, Ryan Rothstein. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you're a new listener, welcome. We talk a lot of NBA here on The Fix, a lot of sports gambling, a lot of NFL, and anything in between. Whatever I'm feeling, I go after it. And today, Thursday, as we approach Labor Day weekend, I'm feeling some Sixers and head coach vacancy talk, baby. And this morning, John Johnson from WIP in Philadelphia, who covers the Sixers, a longtime sports talk host and member of WIP up in Philadelphia, he tweeted out something simple, nothing crazy, nothing confirmed. But he tweeted out that the 76ers and Tyrone Liu were in serious talks, I'm paraphrasing, and bringing Ty Liu in as the next head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. Nothing was confirmed. He just put out a simple tweet that he said that his sources were telling him that the Philadelphia 76ers were close to a deal with Tyrone Liu, head coach, former head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, winning an NBA title with LeBron James. Um, And that started just an entire conversation of, Is that a good hire? Is that a bad hire? And it was really, the conversation jumped the gun, but it was still an interesting conversation and it sparked a lot of debate. It sparked a lot of opinions. Um, So I want to just look into the 76ers head coach vacancy and just give you my thoughts on it because here's my thing. The NBA is a player's league. You need to have the talent. You have to have the talent in order to win. The NBA, there's five guys on the floor, all right? I'm bringing the the hard-hitting facts here on this podcast. Five guys on each team, 10 total. Uh, No, but in all seriousness, one superstar, two superstars, the right pieces around those superstars, that's what you need. That is most important. And we all know the frustration around the decisions and lack thereof surrounding the 76ers front office. And that's a big factor in this team's success. Obviously, the players on the, on the floor, the front office, and the ownership. All right, Ownership and front office have been two massive pieces to why this puzzle hasn't been completed in Philadelphia. And Brett Brown had to go. Okay, They needed a change, if for nothing else, a new voice, if for nothing else, a PR decision. And I don't agree with that being a PR decision. I firmly believe that this team needed a change. And they're going to make one. All right, we all know what happened. It was announced Brett Brown no longer um, will be head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers, relieved of his duties. There was also an announcement today, and I'm going to piece all this together. There was also an announcement, a surprising one. The Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, in case you forgot. We didn't see them in the bubble this year. But they're going to be locked and loaded and ready to go next year. They announced that they hired Steve Nash. I thought that was a very interesting hire. Steve Nash has worked with the Golden State Warriors. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the Clippers for a little bit too. But he worked with Kevin Durant in Golden State for a while. And Kevin Durant has credited Steve Nash to helping him grow to where he's at today. He doesn't get all the credit, but guess what? Steve Nash has worked with him, showed him a couple tricks, 
and helped him along in his massive development to really become one of the best scorers, not just of this generation, but of all time. So Steve Nash, somewhat of a surprising hire. That wasn't a name that was thrown around a lot. But the reason why I bring that up is because you look at the Brooklyn Nets situation. They have two stars that have been there and done that. They have two stars that are playing together for the first time. All right, And we've seen you know, when two superstars, three superstars join up, the first season isn't always, you know, roses. There's some growing pains in any sport, especially the NBA, but that doesn't mean the Nets can't get it done. They're likely going to be the favorite to come out the East, one of the favorites to win the entire thing next season in the 2021-2022 NBA season. But their situation is different. Their situation, they need a guy that can go in there and that knows how to handle established superstars. The key word there, folks, is established. Established superstars is a much different coaching job than, for example, the one that's available in Philadelphia for the 76ers. The Brooklyn Nets need someone that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving can trust. They know can give them their space. They know that this guy, he'll say the right thing when he needs to say it. He'll say nothing when he needs to say it. He knows how to manage personalities. He's a superstar Hall of Famer himself who's been in locker rooms, who's been in big moments. He knows how to handle the room, and he's going to know what to do and what not to do. It's really just keeping the ship afloat when you're at that level. All right, so coaching is different in each circumstance. All right, there's the there's the rebuild circumstance. There's the other extreme which the Brooklyn Nets are dealing with. Clippers, Lakers, anytime you have a LeBron, anytime you have a Kevin Durant, anytime you have a Ka- uh, a Kawhi Leonard, those situations are a much different coaching job. The Philadelphia 76ers, I would argue, is one of the most intriguing jobs to take, but it's also the most challenging. Why? I'll tell you why. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are not established superstars. Yes, they have multiple all-star appearances now. Ben Simmons, rookie of the year. Joel Embiid, we've seen on the floor late in competitive all-star games, getting the ball and dominating. He's one of the top 10 players, and that's loose. I think he could even be top 6 to 8 when Joel Embiid is healthy and at his best. He's one of the best in the game. But they're not established. They haven't gotten to that big moment. They haven't had success in that big moment, both individually and collectively. They need help getting there. They need help in those moments. And a lot of the issues that the 76ers are facing, it's not the player's fault, and it's not the head coach's fault, past and whoever the next present coach will be. But here's the thing. Here's the list of legitimate issues and legitimate questions that are going to need to be answered by the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Accountability. Accountability is the number one thing on my list. And you can apply that in a lot of different areas for the Philadelphia 76ers. We heard it from Josh Richardson after the Game 4 loss against the Boston Celtics this postseason. The Sixers got swept by the Boston Celtics. It wasn't even close. 
after that Game 4 loss, Josh Richardson was asked about his coach, Brett Brown, because everyone knew the writing was on the wall. Everyone knew Brett Brown, especially after a sweep in the first round, was not going to return, fair or foul. That's, I'm not going to get into that aspect of it. But what did Josh Richardson say after the game? He acknowledged flat out that this team needs to have more accountability. He acknowledged Brett Brown directly, indirectly saying, I do, fe- I do feel that Coach, Brown, Coach Brett Brown could have been more accountable with us throughout the season. Needs to show more accountability. We need to have more accountability. And you cannot like that quote. You can say, that's a soft move by Jay Rich. He's blaming the coach for not having accountability. It comes down to the players stepping up and manning up and being accountable and being grown men and figuring it out. That's fair. I understand that point of view. It's fair. But it's not the first time we've heard this accountability thing. We've heard it from Tobias Harris. We've heard it from Al Horford. We've heard it at times in the past by J.J. Redick when he was once upon a time the Philadelphia 76er. Man, I miss that guy, by the way. So this is nothing new. And this next head coach is going to have to hold the locker room accountable. Especially one Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, we've seen the IG posts. We've seen the social media videos on Twitter, on Instagram of Ben Simmons shirtless, knocking down corner three after corner three, throwing oops to himself. And we drink the Kool-Aid every time because we desperately want to see that man shoot and develop his offensive game in the half-court sets. What happens Heading into the bubble, we drank the Kool-Aid for what? I think legitimately the third different time. We said, you know what? This is it, man. He was on video. Ben Simmons was caught on video saying, uh, gonna, there's going to be a new Ben Simmons in the bubble. And unfortunately, Ben got hurt. But, but leading up to that moment where Ben got hurt, did we see a new Ben? Did we see a different Ben Simmons? No. He took a couple threes. Is that better than what we're used to seeing? Sure. But overall, can we confidently say that Ben Simmons had a new found look to his approach on the offensive end? No. No, we cannot. Ben Simmons, if if the opposing team sags eight to ten feet off of him, he has to be aggressive. He has to shoot the ball. So that's one aspect of this new coach and what he has to do. You have to hold Ben Simmons accountable. Another major question and aspect that this coach has to figure out, is Ben Simmons the point guard? Is Ben Simmons your point guard moving forward? For a while, we felt like the organization and even Brett Brown, their view was Ben Simmons is the point guard. He's our guy. We have to figure out how to be successful with Ben at the one. What was the big adjustment? heading into the bubble by Brett Brown and the Philadelphia 76ers organization. We're going to move Ben off the ball. We're going to move Ben off the ball. We're going to put him in pick and roll situations. We're going to do a lot of different things with him. We can use him as more of a point forward instead of a point guard. Insert Shake Milton into the starting point guard role. We've seen him have his spurts and moments of offensive dominance. He's able to shoot the ball. He can attack. He can do some different things. Now you have a guy in the backcourt that can handle the rock. You have a guy in Ben Simmons that can still be your point forward, run the break and transition. Okay, that's a good adjustment. We didn't really see it play out due to Ben Simmons' injury and a few other things that ended up taking place around this team in the NBA bubble down in Orlando. Brett Brown's out. Moving forward. 
That's that's question number two for me. Is Ben Simmons the point guard? Already, I'm two items into this list. And this head coach has a lot of work to do, whoever it may be. You have to hold Ben Simmons accountable to shoot the ball if he's open, to develop his offensive game in the half-court sets, or else this team's going to go nowhere. That's the obvious, biggest, number one item on the list. What's the number two item? Is Ben Simmons going to be the point guard moving forward? It's not one or the other. I'm fine with a little bit of both. You can start Ben Simmons as the point guard as the game progresses, depending on who's on the roster and who's in the rotation next season. You can shift them off the ball to point forward. Fine. But they have to figure all that out. Question number three, and this is the third item, and it can easily be the first. This new guy, whoever it is, how is he going to make Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid coexist? And not just coexist, thrive. Be one of the elite duos in the National Basketball Association as everyone expects them to be. As I would say, themselves individually expect them as a duo to be one of the most dangerous in the league. They should be by now. I know they're still young, but at what point do we stop using that excuse? These guys have played together for quite some time. They know the expectations are high. They know they just got their coach fired. It's time to evolve and coexist on the floor and not look so clunky and out of rhythm. And I will say this as a sidebar, I get a lot of the clunkiness and offensive issues we see are based on how the roster is built. The roster has just been a disaster Every year that goes by, we look at 2017-2018, the 76ers' net offensive efficiency rating. In 2017-2018, it was a plus 15 and a half. That was in the top five best among duos. So Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, when they were on the floor together in 2017-2018, had a plus 15.5 offensive net rating. In 2018-2019, It was a plus 7.9. In 2019-2020, it was a 0.6. A 0.6. You look at how this roster was built in 2017-2018, and it made a lot of sense. You had J.J. Redick. You had Robert Covington, a 3 and D guy who's having a ton of success in Houston right now. J.J. Redick, we all know his success in Philadelphia, whether you loved him or hated him. I don't know why you would hate him. He's one of the all-time best in this generation as far as shooting the rock, the ability to space the floor, which is exactly what both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons desperately need to be successful. You had that. And not one, not two, but arguably three different players on that 2017-2018 roster with Robert Covington, Dario Saric, a stretch four type of player who had success in Philadelphia, had his ups ups and downs since he's left. But you had Dario, you had Broco, you had J.J. Redick. Those are pretty darn good pieces around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And I'm not saying they should have kept that together, but the pieces and the format was there. Like the foundation was there. If you want to upgrade or if you want to add a superstar, and still keep those pieces around a third superstar, whatever it may be, I'm fine. But they completely changed the makeup over this team quickly in a three-year span. 
Now you fast forward, and what does this team have? It has an aging Al Horford who got really old, really fast overnight. He doesn't fit with Ben Simmons. He doesn't fit with Joel Embiid. He certainly doesn't fit with both of them, with the three of those guys on the floor at the same time. That just doesn't work. You have Tobias Harris. You end up giving him a max contract. Now he's in the tier of Paul George, Chris Paul, um, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James. He's in that tier. One of the top 10 biggest contracts in the NBA. Tobias Harris can't create his own shot. You can't give the ball to Tobias Harris late in the game and say, oh, man, you know what? We're struggling. Take the ball in the wing. Go create. Go get fouled. Knock down a couple free throws. Go knock down a jump shot. Go knock down an open three. Tobias Harris ain't that guy. Tobias Harris is a great player, a very good player in this league. He is an awesome third fiddle type of player. Which, when you look at the roster, it makes sense. You're like, well, look, Ryan, you have Ben Simmons, you have Joel Embiid. Insert your third star in Tobias Harris. It makes sense on paper, but on the floor it doesn't. Why? Because I go back to my earlier points in what this next head coach has to do. Ben Simmons isn't an offensive threat. He's an unbelievable talent. He's a walking triple-double. He's a nightmare in the open floor. He's an all-NBA first-team defender, a defensive player of the year candidate. Joel Embiid, much of the same. Similarities between both. But Ben Simmons ain't a guy that's going to get you a bucket in the half-court sets. He's been a liability, as we've seen over the past three postseasons. Joel Embiid is a stud. But we've seen his inability to stay healthy. We've seen the trouble that the 76ers team has had in getting him the ball in those tight spots late in games in the postseason. It's not easy for a big man to get the ball in the spots that he needs it late in games in the fourth quarter in the postseason. It's tough to do, and that's not even a knock on Joel Embiid. That's just the way the game is played. The style of today's NBA game doesn't really fit the big man. And I know Joel Embiid can step out and knock down threes. We've seen the Euro step, pump fake move from the top of the key at the three-point line. Joel Embiid can do things all over the floor. So I'm not limiting him to an old-school, traditional style of play big man. But when the game slows down, that's where he's at. That's where he's set up. He's set up at the post. He's set up maybe at the foul line, foul line extended, mid-post area. That's where he needs to be. Maybe setting a screen at the top of the key. It's not easy to get him the rock with two minutes, one minute or less to go in the fourth quarter in a postseason game. Which brings everything full circle. So now you have Tobias Harris as essentially your number one option in half-court sets. Which is not okay. And guess what? After all those issues that I just brought up, legitimate issues and question marks surrounding your quote-unquote big three for the Philadelphia 76ers, their lives aren't made easier by the roster around them, and that's a front office issue. There's no shooters on this team. You have Furkan Korkmaz, who has, guess what? Give the kid credit. He's developed into a legitimate shooter. In the NBA, he's not a stud. He's not J.J. Redick. He's not Joe Harris from Brooklyn. But he's a guy that, guess what? If you're the opposing team, you have to account for him and you have to respect his ability to knock down a three. But he's a massive liability on defense. Matisse Thibel, the fan favorite. I love Matisse Thibel. I joked way earlier in the season, at this early in his rookie year, called him Matisse Leonard. 
Kawhi Thibel. <laughs> because Matisse has some skills that can't be taught. The defensive instincts, those I, I'm telling you, that those things that Matisse does so well, a lot of it can't be taught. It's just instinctual. It's just natural ability on the defensive end to recover and make up ground quickly, to intercept passes and passing lanes. He's long. He has a long wingspan. He's very athletic, and he's smart and has a high defensive IQ. But guess what? Just like Furkan, but flip it, he's a massive liability on the offensive end. He can knock down the occasional three-point shot, but not consistently. Brett Brown clearly did not trust him in big moments and big games to be out there on the offensive side of the ball to knock down a shot. So who does this team have? Who does this team have? And a lot of that is not on the next head coach, but it's part of the difficulty of the job that the next head coach is going to take on. You have a roster that doesn't fit. You have a third fiddle that's really your first fiddle in half-court sets and big moments. You have a big man and a point guard or maybe a point forward. We're not really sure what he is. That has yet to coexist successfully over a long period of time. And the last, the last item on the list is still Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is not happy right now. And I'm not here to play therapist, but I mentioned those Sixers offensive, uh, the net offensive efficiency ratings. 2017 being by far and away their best year offensively from a statistical standpoint. Why? That dribble handoff with J.J. Redick, you can knock it. It worked. And Joel Embiid felt comfortable in that offense. He knew where to be on the floor. The guys around him fit like a puzzle to where it was successful, the sets that they ran. He knew where he had to be. He was confident in his role. He was confident in the offense that they were running, and he thrived in it. Insert Jimmy Butler when the Sixers still had J.J. Redick. Now you have a guy that answers a lot of those questions that I'm bringing up with Tobias Harris and the pieces around Tobias, Ben, and Joe, Jimmy Butler was able to get the ball in the half-court set at the top of the key, tell everyone to relax. He was able to yell and bark at Joe in a positive way because Joe and Jimmy were close, tell him to get where he needs to be on the floor. J.J. was in one spot, so you have Jimmy Butler with the ball. You have Joel Embiid setting a screen or off to the side. You have J.J. Redick on the wing. That's a tough matchup for opposing teams. The Sixers don't have that. Joel Embiid is lost on the floor. A lot of it is not his fault, and some of it's not even the coach's fault. But fair or foul, these are questions that the next head coach is going to have to provide answers to. Joel and Ben's fit, Ben's growth individually, Ben's role on the team. Is he a point guard? Is he a point forward? Joel's role on the team, where is he most comfortable getting the ball? How are they going to maybe try and unload Al Horford? That's not the head coach's spot. Uh, That's not his question to answer, I should say. But if Al Horford returns, the next head coach is going to have to figure that out. If the Sixers are somehow able to unload an Al Horford contract and bring in a couple shooters, maybe bring in another guard that's able to handle the rock, whether it's a point guard or not, great. But he has to figure all those things out. This next hire for head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers is make 
or break in the Joel Embiid-Ben Simmons era. This is a massively important hire that the Sixers cannot get wrong. They cannot be lazy in their due diligence and finding this next person. They can't just go get a name that's opposite of Brett Brown. That's not going to get it done. This next person has the hardest coaching job in the NBA next season. The hardest coaching job in the NBA next season is the Philadelphia 76ers. And it's not even close. It's not a LeBron situation. It's not a Brooklyn Nets situation where it's just managing personalities with established stars. This is a situation where you have a roster that doesn't fit. You have a star that doesn't really know if he's a point guard or a point forward. You have a star that is yet to develop in offensive half-court sets when the lights are really on. There's a lot of questions. This next head coach has to hold these players accountable, both collectively and individually. He has to get two stars that have really yet to consistently work and thrive together to work. Tyrone Liu has had success in this league. He's won the Larry O'Brien Trophy. He seems to be viewed as a player's type of coach. There's a lot of positives for Tyrone Liu. And with all that said, I don't know if the guy can coach. Because coaching LeBron James in his peak is a lot different than having to answer all the questions that I just uh, rattled off for you. This next hire is make or break for the Philadelphia 76ers organization. We'll see who they choose, and I will have a lot to say on whoever the next person is, and, I'm, and I'll give you my insights and my thoughts right here on The Fix with Ryan Rothstein. Thank you for listening to another episode. Once again, subscribe, rate, leave a review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you may be listening to your podcast. Each and every review and subscription goes a long way. I appreciate y'all. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Stay safe. And until next time, peace.